Sam. I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? Okay. Um, did you see that Madonna released the original version of American Life? No, the one that was uh, <laughs> had to be changed because of September 11th. Yeah, so back in 2000, well, it's not September 11th, well, yeah, the war in was, Iraq. So in September 11th, or September 11th. It was uh, the, the um, right, because then she filmed some controversial music video that was about to drop, and then I think everything had to be changed. She had the version of, she had a the original version of American Life, and then she announced that due to the volatile state of the world and out of sensitivity and respect to the armed forces who I support and pray for, I do not want to risk offending anyone who might misinterpret the meaning of this video. So she didn't. Oh, but then, yeah. So she released like an edit, like this, I don't even know what you call it. Like a, it's like a sizzle reel of the video. Okay. So the one that we all saw was not the original, right? but right. then I watched the original. Oh, I would watch that. How was it? Um, well, this is a description from the New York Post. Is uh, dressed in military garb, Madonna crashes a war-themed fashion show where dancers become injured, limbs are detached, and real-looking war footage flashes across the screen. The scenes feature scared and bloodied kids, people on fire, blood, guts, and bombings. I was pretty shocked watching it. Really? I definitely can see why they didn't release it or she, her record company, whomever, thought it was a bad idea. Because in addition to all that, so there are like models walking the stage who are clearly like American military people. But then we have like children who are clearly like Middle Eastern sort of being harassed on stage or on the the runway. And then the violence is pretty graphic. Um, and then it ends with, because everyone in the audience is sort of like Sophia Lorenz in the audience, like laughing at what's happening, like the violence that's supposed to be, you know, like a dramatization. And then the final shot is someone throws an actual, um, what do you call the bomb that they hold and pull the clip out? Grenade. Grenade. Someone throws a grenade into the audience and then the video ends. Oh, how provocative. Yeah, I thought it was a bit much, um, but well, I think. I, I don't mind some over the top uh, stuff. Well, I think it's a bit much also because the song is not very good. I don't think it's a good song. She, I, doesn't, <clears throat> she doesn't sound great. The lyrics are kind of laughable. Well, the little rap at the end. You know is what ruins really, it is that rap. If it would have been like if she had she needed to what she needed to add was that rap. Cut that out of there cuz it's it's laughable, but I will say I, you know, uh I like that album a lot. I I uh, I was in high school and I remember buying it and there were a lot of tracks I really like on it. Most yeah, but that song in particular, I, I don't think is a good song. So that makes the video worse. I think if yeah. it would have been a better quality song that isn't kind of campy. Like what it feels like for a girl, which is also a controversial music video. Yeah, but that one seems more palatable because the lyrical content, I think, I mean, it just seems elevated compared to American life. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, what's the recent one? God Control, which also is dealing with gun violence. Yeah. And I think, again, that the like the video, like the context of being in like a queer space, like a mm -hmm. nightclub and it gets shot up. I, I I think that makes sense. But yeah, this one watching it, I was like, oh, gosh, <laughs> I will. I will go back and watch that because I, I have very fond memories of that album. And it, it, it was a terrible time as well so it's not about me trying to squash artistic freedom i just don't think the no. song is very good so to make such a do you like that album uh i mean i like hollywood oh, hollywood's i had a re a cd of like six remixes of hollywood what's that that white duck remix <laughs> i like i mean die another day the 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 mute like the the actual music is like I like, but I think she sounds kind of crazy. Analyze this. Yeah. Uh, Sigmund Freud. I, she's just kind of laughable to me. As it reminds me late, of that. Late, like in her later era. That <laughs> scene in Heartbreakers where Sigourney is pretending to be Russian and she's in that Russian restaurant and they want her to sing a famous Russian song. She just starts saying Russian names like Pushkin, Leningrad. <laughs> My version, I prefer Madonna from like 87 to 90. I mean, like up until Ray of Light. Oh no, Ray of Light's my favorite album. And then, 
of hers. Like Ray of Light, Erotica, like all, like a virgin, all that I really like. Um, And then I like Hung Up and Get Together. Oh, Confessions. I I I don't love Confessions, but I love two of the songs from. I think that's actually a a well-realized album, though, in a way that she, after that, she didn't do again, where, you know, an album usually used to tell a story or had some kind of thematic motif. Confessions has some silly, I mean. It does have some silliness, but it, 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 to me, that fits together as an album, a cohesive album, unlike MDNA, where you get shit like, what the fuck is Masterpiece? Yeah. Like. (laughs) But I think she likes to be, like like this like madam x like being these characters and having something to say that's very specific i think erotica is the best version of her doing doing that that, yeah where it feels adult and mature and sexy and yeah everything else after to me feels kind of (laughs) silly i think when you can see the gears working and see the labor it's what makes it not not sexy but 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 i don't need to uh, dwell on how Madonna's changed. She has a lot of stuff I like. I like that's available to me, so I just choose to listen to that. The only thing constant is change in Madonna. Uh, if someone wants to buy me a ticket to go see her, I would go, but I'm not paying. I don't. I don't think she'll put on a show like she used to. Uh, I, I just don't. I don't. I don't know. For some, as much as I like her music, I don't feel compelled. Versus Janet. Like, mm-hmm. I definitely would want to see, but even Beyonce, I'm not. I like a lot of Beyonce's, and I, I've seen her in concert. She, even puts, if she t- puts on a good show. She does, but yeah, not for those prices and for how chaotic it's going to be. Well, it I just think, feels inconvenient. Well, that I think that's the thing. It's other people. <laughs> like, the process of getting to the venue, and, like, it's going to take so long, and she's not going to come out on time, obviously, so it's going to be, like, this really stressful thing Mm -hmm. that I could just watch on YouTube. I'd rather just listen to myself, or in a club where I can interact with it uh, in a better way, my my physical interpretation. (laughs) Moving on, you wanted to talk, there are some additional things about the Cannes Film Festival? Yeah, they always have late editions after... that we hold out hope for excitement for. And they had, they added two last minute additions to the competition, including that Catherine Corsini title, the one that they almost yanked back because of allegations of sexual assaults, which I brought up last time. Uh, but so Catherine Corsini is going against the competition. And then Jean, Jean Stéphane Sauver has a new film called black flies, which will be in the competition. But what was shocking about the announcements are the additions to the other categories, particularly their premiere category, which was something they adopted in 2021. And it seemed like that was a way to satisfy, due to the pandemic, there was an influx of all these films waiting in the eaves to um, premiere. And it was kind of a way to showcase filmmakers who they didn't want to put in the competition, but were also notable. So I, and I'm curious to see how this section is still developing, but it seems to me either what goes there are notable filmmakers who they, they for whatever reason, don't want to put in the competition or they don't understand. Because like Gaspar Noy's Vortex was in the premiere section, which I think that should have been in the goddamn competition. But anyway, uh, Lissandro Alonso's Eureka, which I, I'm very shocked to see here. It's been almost a decade since his last film, How Ha, which I think was in, in certain regard. And this is, uh, this is, He's years in the making has shot across several different continents, like across different seasons. So to me, uh, uh, Eureka was shaping up to be a kind of an epic. So I'm surprised they kind of shunted it off into the premiere section, along with uh, Valerie Donzelli, who's been in the competition before, and uh, Amat Escalante, a Mexican filmmaker. I I really liked his last film, The Untamed, and this this his latest one is years in the making as well. But Anyway, I will be seeing them, but they're going to be they're going to be in that section. And then you have your top five releases for April. We've been forgetting to at the end of every month to kind of highlight films we liked from the past month to catch up on if you haven't had the chance. But well, you mean you? I, mean, <laughs> I haven't contributed to any of these lists. But what is your number five? To Catch a Killer. 
That was a good one. Damien Chiffron. Uh, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Number four for Kelly Freeman Craig. And number three, Joyland, which we didn't review. A film from Pakistan. Uh, queer film. Highly recommended by Saeem Sadiq. Uh, number two, Bo is Afraid. And number one, RMN. Which there is a YouTube review for um, both of those. We have a, yeah. Uh, well, for all of them, actually. Except, except Joyland. Joyland, yeah. All right, films released we didn't cover. Peter Pan and Wendy. I did see you watching it, though. Oh, God, this was so goddamn boring. Oh, fuck. Like, why? I And I was interested because of David Lowry, who I usually quite like, and I really liked his last film, The Green Knight. But it seems that when he pairs with Din- Disney, like his Pete's Dragon, his useless Pete's Dragon rehash, um, I know that had its fans. I did... I, Give me the Shelley Winters version. But uh, uh, it, it dropped on Disney Plus this weekend, and I, I was just, it's so boring. I, Jude Law is Captain Hook, and even Jim Gaffigan is Smee. Nothing saved it. I thought Wendy was boring. I thought Peter was boring. Uh, and I would, uh, yeah. Next, Sisu. Uh, you didn't watch it, but I did do a piece on it for our website. Fishjellyfilms.com. But, uh, I it, I was in the middle of the road on it, but I like this filmmaker, Finnish, Jalmari Halander. He's probably still best known for his debut, that strange Santa movie, Rare Exports, which I remember taking you to see in the theater. I read the review because I obviously had to proof it before I posted, and there's a scene you mentioned where the main character is stuck underwater, and he has to sl- slit someone's throat mm-hmm. in order to like get oxygen. Suck the air out. It that sounded pretty, really cool. It has I mean, in a morbid way, but. Oh, yeah, there's some definitely morbid, gory kills and has that going for it. The story is very simple. Uh, I could have gone with some little, a little more flourishes, but uh, it's worth checking out for sure. Star Wars Return of the Jedi. For whatever reason, this was re-released. Uh, I'm, you said I've seen this movie. Yeah, I showed you all of them before the 2015. <laughs> you you watched them all in pretty quick succession. Which, when I tell you, I don't remember a thing about these. <laughs> looking back, I don't know how we made it through that, but... Uh, yeah, you did. You did see all well, these. What, when was that? That was before the 2015 Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver rehash. Also, my spirit wasn't fully formed, or no, killed. So yeah, now I probably wouldn't. I would not agree to watch. How many films are there? Uh, there's the original three, then the George Lucas three. So you say? So you so watched, you're saying I watched six in short succession? Yeah, in like a two week period. I oh think. yeah, no. Uh, well, good for me. Well, you did, girl. Uh, th- as a kid, Return of the Jedi was my favorite because of the Ewoks. But uh, when we rewatched them in 2015, I remember n- n- not quite liking. I-, I thought Return of the Jedi is a little cheesy. Next, a-, a film I really want to see, which I know is terrible, uh, Big Shark. Yeah, Tommy Wiseau is back, but uh, I haven't received anything from publicists on this. I think it's getting a staggered release. Uh, in different cities. It looks like it'll be in Westwood uh, in the beginning of June. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, so for people who don't know, Tommy Wiseau is the creator of the film The Room, which is like a cult classic. And he's made, you know, it's it's legendary for being so terrible and having cost $5 million. Mm -hmm. And we really don't know how this man has money. But he made it all back and then some because over the past decade plus, he's been touring with it. Yeah. Um, And I think have have we been to a midnight showing of it? That's how we first saw it in Minneapolis. In Minneapolis, in 2010. Yeah. So he like tours the country and goes to these cool, you know, like independent cinemas and shows his film and is there to present it. It sells out everywhere we, it goes. We've met him. Well, yeah, we've met him before. And Not at a screening at the room either. No, it was at the Chinese theater in <laughs> Hollywood. But his new film, which he completed back in when, like it, like before the pandemic, I think. Probably, or he, or he started filming right before the pandemic. Um, yeah, he's doing a slow release, but it makes sense to me because, you know, I would definitely go. I'm sure we'll review it, but uh... but it won't happen until June. But I but I would like to go um, see it. We'll see it. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got lost. The next film is called The Eight Mountains. The Eight Mountains, uh, which I saw at Cannes. Uh, was in the competition. Belgian film from Felix van Greningen. Uh, and he's uniting, I think she's usually his screenwriter, but she co-directs this one, Charlotte Vandermeersch. 
uh, and it's of the leads, Luca Marinelli. It's about a couple of uh, heterosexual uh, young men in an isolated, remote, mountainous area mm. and their friendship. And it's long. I remember being very irritated that the oh. press screening was like, I didn't get out of that fucking press screening until like 1230. It was a oh. long day. And this won something like best screenplay. I thought it was just fine. Um, I, th- I think this it, it had its fans. But uh, of, of Ben Greningen's films, I preferred something like The Broken Circle Breakdown. But uh, it's worth checking out. It opened. I didn't even ask you if you wanted to look at it. Thank you. Next, Freaks Out. I saw this at Venice 2021. It was in the competition. I didn't like it. But on paper, it sounds really interesting. Uh, it's directed by Gabriel Minetti. And... I would describe the plot as it's kind of a sci-fi historical drama period. It, it, it's like X-Men meets the last showman meets Star Trek. And then it has the uh, Franz Rogowski as an awful Nazi. Hmm. So it sounds like there's a lot of things going for it, but Wait, I, Franz Rogowski is the one I like. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and I like him too, but I didn't really like this film. Nuclear Now. Uh, it's a new documentary from Oliver Stone that came out. I didn't watch. Oh. Lastly, Polite Society. I almost went to a press screening this week, but needed a break. Uh, debut of Nita Manzur, and I think it's about a sister trying to stop the arranged marriage of her sibling. And that's all I know about it. And I, I it looks good. I am sorry I missed it. Moving on to Projects of Interest. Queen at Sea. Okay, so one of the best films of 2008 was called Ballast by Lance Hammer. And everybody, I think, in the indie film scene has been waiting and waiting and waiting for him to have a new project. And he finally is. He's filming a film called Queen at Sea. And it's uh, led by Juliette Binoche and also stars Tom Courtenay. And I think there's, I forget who else is in the cast, but that is exciting news. Mod versus mod. Uh, apparently, I, I think I missed this item from last week, but Halle Berry and uh, Angelina Jolie apparently have signed on to oh, a project yeah. that is being described as something like Bond versus Born. Oh, familiar. Uh, Romanian filmmaker Kalen Peter Netzer, who won the Golden Bear at Berlin in 2013 for Child's Pose, I think is knee deep in another project. I didn't like his his project i forget the name of it uh which was which also anna my love anna mon Amour, which was also in competition in berlin i didn't love child's pose had some interesting things in it it but uh yeah so good for him ice road Two, road to the sky well we reviewed ice road and I, which i enjoyed i well like it's it's fun it's okay it's basically a remake of Sorcerer and Sorcerer's a remake of The Wages of Fear. But anyway, Liam Neeson's coming back and Road to the Sky. So is it going to be him like flying ice planes? Or? I don't know. I just <laughs> thought that there's something about the trek is between Nepal and Canada. So I'd imagine the sky. Also, has to be there used. is plane. There are planes involved. I don't know. That sounds terrible. Lastly, I added this, although I'm not interested. Rihanna is going to. Um, oh, voice the, the Smurfs, Smurfette, and then she's going to do several songs for the soundtrack. Okay, I'm assuming it's because she has a kid, probably because all these people who do these kids' movies always say, I did it so my kid would so watch me. Well, that's yeah. why Sigourney did holes, but but yeah, I'm not interested in the Smurf movie. Uh, no, okay, movies we watched for fun, which are all movies you watched, Frownland. Uh, you were in the room when I watched this. This is a criterion that I was supposed to review that I've been sitting in a pile. And it's directed by Ronald Bronstein, his only um, directorial effort, but he's known as a screenwriter for the Safdie brothers. He wrote or co-wrote, I don't recall, uh, Uncut Gems, for instance, or Good Time. So I was very interested because of that. And this cost him more money than I think it should have based on the final products because it took Mm. six years to make. And uh, it's got stars a central character who's really hard to sit with so apparently he likes writing characters like that but um it just felt very rough around the edges and uh, i i don't i wouldn't say i would want to watch it again and i don't even know that i'll eventually write about it because oh anyway it was fine it it's interesting what criterion kind of tries to 
rope into the fold. Next, Ariel. Uh, the next film in uh, Aki Karazmaki's Proletariat trilogy, which I didn't like as much as Shadows in Paradise, but it's about a man whose uh, father, I think they're miners, and the mine is closed, so his father kills himself and gives him his car and tells him to go off to the city, and he does, and he gets robbed, and then he falls in love with this woman who works as a cashier if i remember correctly he gets accused of crime breaks out of prison uh and then they make an escape to the titular ship uh of the title uh, apparently karismaki thinks this is his best film and he wrote the script over a weekend and i i i like other karismaki films better than this but it was okay I, again i liked shadows in paradise so i have one more in that trilogy to watch prior to can next henry the fourth uh, Bellocchio film that I hadn't seen, another uh, Pirandello short novella that he adapted with Marcello Mastriani as this man who hit his head as a youth and believes that he is this Henry IV and uh, apparently is so rich that everyone around him has carried on this charade for decades. And this film is about a therapist who believes he's found a way to cure him of... <laughs> His memory ailments. Uh, Claudia Claudia Cardinal starts stars in it as well. I didn't really care for it. Uh, I, I found the concepts, the conceit, is just a little. Mm, I feel like it's something that would read better as a play or a story than watching it because it's it's hard to tap into caring about any of these people. Wet Sand. Uh, this was the debut of a Georgian filmmaker, Eline Neveriani, uh, whose sophomore film is playing in Director's Fortnite at, at Cannes this year. Uh, so I wanted to catch up with this. Uh, it's a very interesting, very dark queer film. Uh, it's about uh, a man that suddenly dies in this small seaside community. And he seems to, he described in a way that immediately, immediately you know, oh, he was gay. But the townspeople are stupid and ignorant and didn't know that. Uh, the, the only person that comes to visit is his uh, niece because he had a falling out with his family. And she starts to learn things about him, namely that the man that owns the main bar, the wet sand, uh, was her uncle's lover, uh, who also kills himself on her trip for the funeral. And then the townspeople want to purge their bodies because they don't want any of that queer shit around. It's a very frustrating film. Um, it feels like it's from a country where they're still grappling with uh, the first stages of, of dealing with homophobia uh, in a confrontational way. But yeah, uh, it, it was enjoyable. I'm looking forward to their next film. Leningrad Cowboys Meet Moses. Another, uh, the second film of a trio by Karizmaki that I, I also, I just don't know when I'd be in the mood to watch the Leningrad Cowboys because it's so deadpan and so dry and they look so stupid to me. They look like a bunch of moronic birds that I think would have, you know, not survived in the wild. But uh, yeah, I, I got through that. <clears throat> Devil in the Flesh. Okay, another Bellocchio film that was very controversial in 1986 and starring uh, Dutch, she's Dutch born, but I believe grew up in France, Marushka Detmers, who is beautiful and has one of those in, like, impossibly striking bodies. She's naked a lot in it. Uh, and she is married to this man that is in prison for his um, uh, political stances and that I think ended in the murder of somebody. Anyway, while she's waiting for her husband to get out, she starts an affair with this young student and then also seduces his father, who's her therapist. And then her mother-in-law, it's very messy, gets involved because she knows what her daughter-in-law is doing. Uh, very interesting. I am now very hot to watch the uh, first film version of it from the 40s, directed by Claude Autant Lara, because it's based on a book uh, starring Micheline Prell. Uh, which I'd imagine is probably less erotic. but uh, And of course, this is no relation to the Rose McGowan film of the same title from the late 90s, Devil in the Flesh. El Sur. Um, uh, Victor Arise, who is probably best known for The Secret of the Beehive, which you have seen. You probably have no memory of it because we had a movie night for it in 2009, I think. Um, I'd never seen his second film, El Sur, which Criterion put out a year or two ago. I, I quite like this. It's uh, based on a novella 
uh, about a young girl who is narrating as an older woman her memories as a child. And actually, as I'm talking about this, it has a lot of similarities with After Sun, but kind of realizing the actual extent of her parents' relationship and her very mysterious enigmatic father and this actress that he used to be in love with named Irene Rios. Um, but I watched it this week because uh, Victor Reese has made his first film since 1983 that's playing out of competition at Cannes. The Angel Levine. And then, you know, we had a legend die this week. So I had I had been meaning to watch this because uh, Jan Kadar, who is, is he Czech? I'm forgetting now. He directed a very famous film called The Shop on Main Street, which I hadn't seen. And I felt like it was appropriate to watch that. So I did. We talked about it on this podcast uh, with uh, Ida Kaminska getting an Oscar nod for it. I think, did that win the Oscar for Best? Anyway, this was Kadar's follow-up, which he made with Harry Belafonte and Zero Mostel. It's based on a short story by Bernard Malamud, a very famous writer. Uh, and the script was co-written by Malamud and Bill Gunn, who you've seen um, Ganja and Hess by Bill Gunn. And then it's just a really interesting mix of people. And I don't think it quite works, but it's it's got some things i like and it's also uh it's it's also a little boring it's got a middle section that just we could have fast forwarded right through but eli wallach shows up as a cameo and gloria foster is a young woman who is the conflicted love interest of this angel played by belafonte and people probably know foster best as the oracle from the first matrix film and she had to be recast of course because she died before the sequels were made. but And it's interesting. I'd never seen her so young. Lastly, I watched the documentary Rose West, Rose West Born Evil. I'll just read the basic synopsis. Unlocking the childhood of Rose West. What was, in, what was it that turned Rose at the age of just 17 into the most sadistic, sexually motivated serial killer Britain has ever witnessed? Uh, it was really d- troubling. Oh, this, when did you watch that? I would have watched that. Well, I, I thought I had plans this morning, so I woke up early, and when those plans fell through, I uh, edited a video and watched a documentary. Oh, okay. But um, I, uh, yeah, it, I don't, I don't think it's like the best documentary, but just because I didn't know who she was, it was very troubling. This lady was convicted of killing. 10 people in murdering 10 people including her like eight-year-old stepdaughter <laughs> but hearing the people talking about her and understanding her crimes it, it's just so disturbing and really made me think like mental illness is very serious mm-hmm. and even the title of the documentary like people trying to place this like like, is she evil? And is there some sort of like supernatural? They're not implying there's some supernatural component to it, but like this idea that there's evil when it's like she's mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's so many things involved and so many signs and, you know, reason- ways that we can explain her behavior and then her history, like being, she's, uh, you know, she was abused by her father, there was incest involved her sexual history it it kind of all makes sense when you add it all up sure <clears throat> but um yeah who Just, directed it who directed it um jared wright not sure who that is um jared sorry it looks like this person has done a lot of other like documentaries type stuff but um yeah it just the subject of rose west is very upsetting interesting uh, yeah but we need to take a break unfortunately there are entries in the obituary section jerry springer passed away he was 79 yep it looks like he was battling pancreatic cancer mm. uh i am quite familiar with jerry springer just being like my age and watching a lot of tv uh so I did know that he used to be the mayor of Cincinnati, mm-hmm. which he then parlayed into like a 
broadcast career as like a political reporter and then a news commentator. And then that turned into the Jerry Springer show mm-hmm. in 91. But the Jerry Springer show originally was not what we all know. Right. It was like a political, mm-hmm. like he would talk about real issues, but of course it didn't get any ratings. Mm-hmm. So in 94, they revamped it to what we all know, like just, and my, I mean, I'm very familiar with the Jerry Springer show and my, my, one of my biggest memories of, when I first started college is that I didn't have any friends throughout my entire college experience. So I would often be on campus, like in between classes, just trying to find a place to get comfortable so I could try to study. And there were, you know, we had a nice student union and the sort of the centerpiece of the union was like this lounge that was like multiple levels. And on one level there was a big TV. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jerry Springer would be on, it was daytime. So Jerry Spr- the, the Jerry Springer show would always be on. <laughs> and so I um, watched a lot of Jerry Springer while I was in college. Did you, did your parents ever watch it? I think they thought he was too sleazy. Um, my, my mom was a Sally, Jesse, Raphael and Oprah fan. Mm. So we watched more of that. You know, Jerry for a while in some markets was getting better ratings than Oprah. Yeah, in yeah. some markets, I mean, it was really big. But it was, it was, it always felt chaotic and violent, and there was always this desperation. And I think I felt bad for the people you're not supposed to feel bad for. I don't know. It was well, and then you know, there's there's this awareness that the guests are like putting on a show, like this is not reality. Sure, because that was also when like Ricky Lake. Yeah, we're starting to play with the concept of reality. What's actually real? Because in the little gay community in Vegas, when I was in college, I mean, I knew people who went on those shows and mm-hmm. they got paid to mm-hmm. pretend to be best friend, you know, like boyfriend and girlfriend, but I'm gay. I'm going to come out and mm-hmm. embarrass you on TV. So it lost a lot. The Jerry Springer show lost a lot of luster to me in the same way that uh, like WWE wrestling mm-hmm. did when someone told me it was fake. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, no good. And then Harry Belafonte died. Yeah. At the age of 96. Yeah. But had a very long, um, influential life. Yes, he did. You have a list of your favorite. Yeah. You know, he didn't have as many films as, say, like Sidney Poitier. But I always found Belafonte more interesting because there there's always an edge to him. He was more of a rebel. I felt like, in you know, Poitier did what he could to infiltrate the system as well. And I, I don't mean to disparage that in any way, but Belafonte, you know, he's, I don't know, he's pretty cool. What are your oh, the, favorite t- films the, from him? The highlights from his career. At number five, I have Tide because they're two, they're basically cameo appearances, but I think notable nonetheless, because his last film was uh, Spike Lee's Black Klansman. In 2018, he shows up, so he's obviously much older. And then in 96, he did a very interesting Robert Altman film called Kansas City uh, that also stars Jennifer Jason Leigh and Dermot Mulroney. And that is, I find, a very interesting film uh, that has aged better than I think it did when it premiered. Next. Buck and the Preacher, uh, which uh, was Sidney Poitier's directorial debut. so bringing together two legends. We talked about this in a previous podcast because I actually recently watched this for the first time. It's kind of a neo-Western, uh, very interesting film. I think I even forgot to bring up that Ruby D is in it. But uh, yeah, that that's worth a watch on Criterion. Number three. The World, the Flesh, and the Devil. Very, very interesting film uh, from the 50s with also starring Mel Ferrer and Inger Stevens. Uh, it's about the end of the world, and the last three people are this, uh, the, these two, uh, well, Mel Ferrer is not technically white, but th- these two light people and Harry Belafonte and kind of the attraction between they both have for this woman. Uh, so way ahead of its time. There is a film directed by Craig Zobel, Z for Zachariah, that I think is highly influenced by this film, which stars Chiwetel Ejiofor, Margot Robbie, and Chris Pine. We'll skip number two for now. Okay. And then your number one. Is Odds Against Tomorrow, a very compelling film noir. And I think this is really the best taste you'll see of um, Belafonte's anti-establishment in my mind 
you know, is also being stuck in the system, uh, co-starring Robert Ryan, uh, who's he's very easy to hate in this film, Robert Ryan. But uh, it's a film noir. I believe it's is it Robert Wise that directed that? I need to double check that, actually. But uh, that is my favorite uh, Belafonte performance. Mm. Well, your number two favorite Belafonte film is our secret film today. It's the 1954 American musical film, Carmen Jones, mm -hmm. directed by Otto Preminger. It stars, of course, Belafonte and Dorothy Dandridge. And you also shout out to Pearl Bailey and Dia Han Carroll. Yep. Mm -hmm. Looking um, young and fresh. Yes. The, the cast is beautiful. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of beautiful people in this movie, just like in the background. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I had never seen this, mm -hmm. but I guess it's appropriate because we reviewed the new 2023 Carmen starring Paul Mescal and Melissa Barrera for our YouTube channel, which I think we both thought was horrible. It was fucking caca. But and then uh, we reviewed Carmen, a hip hopera as a secret film, like three weeks ago on uh -huh. the podcast. <laughs> and then you watched Carmen, the 1983 version by Carlos Sora. So that I've watched four. I, I know you talked about it. Did you like it? I did like it. Yeah. That's worth watching, but that's also, about a production being staged of Carmen. So it's probably the most, you know, innovative of these, but. And then, um, and then of course, we, yesterday we watched Carmen Jones. I am, I'm, I'm still trying to think what I would give this movie. I, I do think it's good. I think it's real. I think it's great. I would give it, are we giving rating? I, cause I've seen it before. I saw the first time I saw it was right before I met you. I don't know if I want to give it three and a half or four. I gave it three and a half because and Belafonte is good in his performance, but I, I actually, I think Dorothy Dandridge dubbed by what's her name, Marilyn Horn, who's a 20 year old white girl. Um, I think that dubbing works fine, but almost other, all the other operatic dubbing doesn't work. It feels a little, yeah. I mean, I did like the music. I definitely think it's a very good movie, but I'm maybe, maybe by the end of this episode, I'll have decided. Well, I will have to decide, but, um, the basic story is that it's set during World War II and we're at this like, um, it's like a military factory kind of. Like, parachute factory. But but it's weird because they have all these women working in the factory, but then they have all these military guys there. On a, on a base. Yeah. Oh, it's on a base. Okay. But anyway, so Carmen Jones, played by Dorothy Dandridge, we all know is like this vixen mm -hmm. who destroys men. I mean, that's how she's painted immediately. I thought the opening song actually of her singing, um, I think it's called Dat Love, mm -hmm. D-A-T Love, mm -hmm. which we need to talk about. Oh, her vernacular? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know it was 1954, but anyway, mm -hmm. I thought that that song is like the perfect introduction to this character. Mm -hmm. Like it definitely spells out the type of woman she is. Like she wants what she wants. She doesn't matter how she gets it. Like mm -hmm. she's very clear. Uh, and she's attracted to things that she thinks she's, that are unavailable right and, and basically saying oh, a warning to whoever the object of her affection is like you're going to be destroyed yeah she's almost like a rattlesnake yeah but um she sets her sights on harry belafonte's character joe but joe is not available he is with this poor young lady named cindy lou played by olga james who's so sweet she's very sweet but very quickly carmen gets into a fight with another woman at the parachute factory and the military person in charge is like you you need to be taken to the civilian authorities because the military authorities can't like arrest you and he tells joe you do it mm -hmm. you do it norbit and not unlike uh well not unlike it the, the similarities between this movie and carmen and hip hopera like they really did stay true i think to they a hip opera lifted a lot of the movements from this version of carmen yeah. right the only difference is they add like a like a villain because most deaf is kind of like the sergeant whomever was in charge of joe belafonte's character sergeant brown sergeant brown in a hip opera they really make i, I think that's supposed to be most deaf they yeah. really make him like extra villainous yes it becomes a story between those two men rather than between the boxer Yes. And, yeah. and then the ending is, you know, there are more more people die in a hip hop. Oh, yeah. Carmen but or Carmen Jones. But anyway, 
Joe's upset because he has a 24-hour pass because he's heading off to become a pilot. So that free day he has, he wanted to spend it with his girlfriend, Cindy Lou. To get married. So they get married. But his boss is like, too bad, too sad. You're going to do what the hell I told you to do. Or it's curtains. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. So poor Joe takes Carmen in his Jeep to like Masonville, like the town, mm. however far away. So she can be taken to the civilian authorities. And of course, shit happens where she ropes him into taking her home. Because, mm-hmm. like, the Jeep breaks down. And, Jeep. and she told him, don't go this route because you're going to break down. And he mm-hmm. does. But she seduces him very easily by, like, cleaning his pants and attempting or starting to prepare him supper. She yeah, never gets to it. <laughs> but we she's to, very aggressive in that Jeep. She, well, we need to talk about all that. But um, he he falls in love with her. And then while that while that's happening... She gets an offer. Well, no, she, so he's supposed to be transporting her and she dips out in the morning. And because of that, he gets put in a stockade. That's right. Because his prisoner escapes, he gets like basically arrested. But so while that, while he's locked away, Carmen is waiting for him. Mm -hmm. Carmen's crazy. (laughs) Carmen Jones is. I know that's a dismissive word. And I wish we had the DSM ladies here to help me understand how to describe her. She is extreme. She's toxic. By like that is a light way to put it. I have the word toxic in all caps in my notes. Manipulative. Like she is the definition. We need to get into she it. She is devil in the flesh. But she's waiting around for Joe. And while that's happening, there is a like famous boxer named Husky Miller who's like rich and everyone knows him. And he is smitten. Oh, instantly, yeah. Like Carmen Jones. And he tells his little helpers, like, don't even bother coming with me to Chicago if you don't get her to come. If you can't get me this lady, both of y'all fired. I mean, that's a way to get what you want, I guess. And in an effort to, so there have, so Husky Miller's handlers um, employ the assistance of Carmen Jones' acquaintances, played by Pearl Bailey and Diane Carroll. Mm -hmm. So they cannot convince Carmen. So the two ladies end up going to Chicago. But, Carmen also wants to go to, like she's torn because she keeps saying she's in love with Joe. She needs to wait for him. Well, when Joe finally shows up, she's telling him, well, let's go to Chicago. She doesn't tell him why. No. So she has to trick him. But he's like, I can't, I I can't just leave. I can't leave my job. So she tricks him into getting into a fight with his boss Mm -hmm. and like he knocks him out. So she's like, well, you're screwed. So you might as well come to Chicago. So they go to Chicago. But then he's in hiding. And but he has to be in hiding in this like raggedy apartment and they have no money. So what does Carmen do? Goes to see the boxer and then switches up on Joe so fast. Well, because he starts to get possessive, but he's also like, I don't want to use stupid. your money. He's stupid. He's stupid. Joe is dumb and she's uh, impossible to deal with. Right. So she switches up and says, like, I do what I want to do. So, you know, whatever. And then immediately basically starts up a life with the boxer and lives like this glamorous life. But Joe becomes, I mean, it drives him crazy. Drives him crazy. Well, the MPs are hot on his heels. They, they catch up with him. Yeah. The military police are, I mean, yeah. And they, they actually do catch up with him and Carmen helps him escape because she says she can't stand to see anyone locked up, mm-hmm. but it all culminates with Joe losing his damn mind. He shows up at a boxing match prepared to kill someone. Mm-hmm. And he, Catches Carmen at the boxing match and kills her. In the storage room. In mm-hmm. the storage room. The end. Mm-hmm. The the military police catches ass and clearly he's going to jail. Um, I think it's very effective. Mm-hmm. Dorothy Dandridge is like exactly what Carmen you need be. for mm-hmm. this character. And I know that they were in the 2023 version that I really didn't like. I mean, it's not even... It, it should have just been called something else. It should have been called something and else. And then the filmmaker... Uh, could have said somewhere down the line, like, oh, yeah, the original inspiration was Bizet's opera, blah, blah, blah. Because, well, so after, because I hadn't seen Carmen Jones, now that I have, I think the movie Carmen has a lot of issues, the 2023 version, but mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing they could have done easily is the opening scene where we have Carmen's mom dancing. Mm-hmm. I feel like that should have been Carmen. Mm-hmm dancing and being super because i mean it was captivating and imagine and that was an older woman who was wearing a long dress imagine if it was 
the the beautiful younger. Well, yeah, because she'd be like the siren out in the middle of nowhere, right. attracting trouble. Right. Know? And then Paul Mascal, for some reason, his character sees her yeah. and then he becomes fixated on her. That could have been a very easy adjustment that would have made the movie make a little bit more sense. They needed to do get in some trouble for them to flee Mexico together. Because they have no chemistry and the woman playing Carmen in the 2023 version, what's her name again? Melissa Barrera. She just, there was nothing to that lady. No. Her, they, the way she styled is so like simple and sometimes frumpy mm -hmm. and she kind of looks greasy. And I feel like, you know, in some movies I always criticize like, that's so stupid. How would her hair still be curled? I feel like in a story like this, and in Carmen Jones, it you know, there's a moment when Carmen is trying to escape Joe and then she jumps on a train and then she's running on the mm -hmm. train. She jumps off the train, slides down a rocky hill covered in dust and then cut to the next scene and she's pristine. Mm -hmm. That made sense to me because Carmen's supposed to be like this jewel mm -hmm. but in the 2023 version they need it he needs to also be mexican the paul mescal character i they, mean yeah there are so many things i, I don't i don't understand they're, they're trying to do too much they're, like, yeah they're doing way too much and then there's no chemistry so by the time these two get together physically it's like kind of like what the hell because <laughs> you want to have the erosion of their attraction because it built out of resentment but anyway and then the a hip opera is terribly written because you know, remember Beyonce getting in a fight at the bar and having to be taken to jail, and she escapes by saying, "Please let me drop my ring off at home." Well, like, yeah, I mean, like, okay, this well, be Beyonce as beautiful as she is, just doesn't somehow being so charismatic on the musical stage doesn't give us that in front of the camera right. acting, even though her performance involved music, mm -hmm. which is weird because in her music videos she emotes way mm -hmm. more, so. And even her music videos back then. So I don't know. Well, because why. she's probably more comfortable. Sure. But yeah, you, I mean, you're right. But uh, no, this Dorothy Dandridge in this role is so perfect because mm -hmm. instantly, like the minute we see her in the like food hall singing, it's like, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I could see how men make poor decisions for her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she seems so reckless about it. And some one of those women in, sitting, sitting in the food hall is like, can you pick one of them so the rest of them can be released for the weekend? <laughs> I thought the writing was really clever. Mm -hmm. um, so Dandridge was, I, I didn't know this the first time I saw it, but apparently she was dating Preminger, which is uh, upsetting itself because Preminger was not a nice looking or a nice man. Per se. Well, but with power a, have a lot more options, I guess. But a fantastic filmmaker. Uh, the fact, you know, and it was common that they would remake a lot of things for black audiences, but then usually those only things would be, sh oh, those things would just be shown to black audience. And I think Carmen Jones transcended a lot of things. Uh, you know, two Oscar nominations, most notably for Dandridge as the first black woman nominated for Best Actress. Mm -hmm. And of course, I, I you know, I didn't remember off the top of my head, but she lost to Grace Kelly for the country girl, which, oh my God, what a, that, whatever. I like Grace Kelly too, but, and she's beautiful woman, beautiful gowns, but that is a nothing performance to me. I think the favorite in there, I think they were punishing Judy Garland that year for <laughs> a star is born. Let me go through my notes quickly. When we first meet Cindy Lou, I'm like, she doesn't stand a chance. Oh yeah. No, poor <laughs> she's thing. a beautiful lady, but she doesn't stand a chance against Carmen. Okay. So the, the, I don't know how, so the way I would describe it is the use of Ebonics in the writing of these lyrics, because the use of, I don't know how to describe it. They're using words like that, there, the, but they're spelling it with a D. Mm -hmm. So dat, dare, da. Mm -hmm. And I know that that might have been how the language was used by this demographic during this time, but it just feels excessive. Sure. Like it's pervasive throughout every song. And I guess one could argue that it should be consistent, but. Well, especially by the women. I don't know that I recall Belafonte's lyrics containing a lot of that. Also, maybe because I watch every movie with subtitles, it's just extra obvious, but sure. um, I don't know. I, I'm not saying that, that they should change it or like if that's how people spoke, you know, whatever, but 
I, I mean, I don't know. It just felt a little excessive. <laughs> sure, but there's also power in keeping that the the memory of that vernacular alive too. Like Spike Lee, I think has been has I, I think attempted to bring that back sometimes, at least in the titles of two films. Yeah, I'm I'm not criticizing it. It was just it it felt like it was a lot. So after the initial scene. Um, where we're introduced to Carmen, then we get a moment with Joe and Cindy Lou talking, and they sing a song. Uh, well, he it's his song. You talk just like my ma. That made me so uncomfortable. It did not only because of the lyrics and what he's saying, but also like you already mentioned. I don't know if that's Belafonte singing his own. It's not. Oh, it's not. I think the only one not dubbed is Pearl Bailey. I didn't like. I didn't love. The voice dubbing the him voice going, for Harry Belafonte, yeah, the singing voice. It it's it's uncomfortable. When Joe has to take Carmen, you know, away, why didn't he handcuff her? <laughs> well, when when they because have... when they're in the jeep, she's acting like when you go to the like those feral cats at the SPCA. <laughs> <laughs> That's how she was acting. She was, uh, but when she they do that rough and tumble bit down the ditch. Uh, he, Which was really good. It was really good. He ties her hands there. He does, but it's like this lady got ran away from you, jumped on a train, jumped off the train, like tumbled down a, and it looked like it was. It looked like Dorothy Dandridge doing. It looked like it was her. But. It looked like it was her. It was. It was very well done. It looked like it wasn't comfortable. And all the while, she's wearing this very tight, like outfit with a long skirt and these like high heel shoes, mm-hmm. strappy shoes. Got, it, which she looks so smart, and she's got that navy blue top and that orange skirt. Yeah, she looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. So Carmen convinces Joe, like, well, you know, the next train is not till late at night. So come to my town. I'll cook you supper. She goes to like the market, like the farmer's market, and she just grabs like a burlap burlap sack and throws all the ingredients mm-hmm. in there, <laughs> like a raw chicken mm-hmm. and all the vegetables and fruit. And then they get back to the house, and it's Carmen's grandma's house. Mm-hmm. And Carmen's grandma's like a like a voodoo mama i don't know yeah but she tells carmen that she found a buzzard's feather under like the doorstep which means that there's trouble coming for carmen mm-hmm. so then it's like foreshadowing that something bad's well you remember why clef and hip-hop a uh, hip-hop yeah not on like why clef and why clef uh doing the psychic reading <laughs> um so then while Joe's been arrested, essentially, then we meet Husky Miller, and he has a song called Stand Up and Fight, mm-hmm. which I actually liked. Mm-hmm. But what I thought was funny is that everyone watching him sing is looking at him like he's crazy. Yeah, like, okay. <laughs> or he's saying things like, oh, this is how I learned to train. And it's, you can tell, it's almost like you can see in their faces, like, okay, but nobody asked you to tell us that. Right. But, okay. right. Um, but that was also when I'm like, gosh, everyone is so beautiful, like mm-hmm. in the like in the audience um so when carmen makes joe basically get into a fight with his boss i mean that was really when we realized like this lady oh is, she's evil she's evil it's, it's not just yeah she's it, like it's beyond just kind of like crazy she's <laughs> like my god girl but then when they get to chicago and they get off the train we see all these people waiting for husky miller like the boys youth club and whatever <laughs> and then several signs have a line that say the coming champ yeah pearl bailey describes him as that too and and i couldn't understand, i didn't understand what that meant i didn't the either coming champ like because I, he's already the champ an up and coming but i don't know yeah but he's already so yeah that was weird um i thought pearl bailey was a lot of fun she is and she looks very slim and svelte here yeah too. she looks great but i, I was see, gonna come oh go ahead i could see queen latifah playing her yeah, I mean, a slim down Queen Latifah. Well, because you know. I mean, Pearl's snatched in this movie. She is. But I thought it was so funny because it. So Pearl is, before they even get to Chicago, Pearl is really trying to convince Carmen, like, you need to do this mm-hmm. because we can all eat off of you. Because mm-hmm. Pearl and Diane Carroll are, like, also being taken care of because. Mm-hmm. Part of the Husky Miller's people think that they can influence Carmen. So when Carmen gets to Chicago, she does go to Husky Miller and Pearl and Diana there, and they are like dressed to the nines. Mm-hmm. But Pearl is wearing, <laughs> she's wearing a beautiful like satin dress. 
covered in costume jewelry. Mm-hmm. But she's wearing like a fascinator, like, you know, those hat, like the fascinator hats. And it's the ugliest thing I've ever well, seen. She looks like a strange bird. Yeah. It is the ugliest thing I've ever seen combined with she couldn't have had on more costume jewelry. And then she's walking around in essentially the hood. Yeah. <laughs> and what did she say? She's like, look at this iceberg. It's almost like it's almost real. Yeah. Oh. But even before they get to Chicago, uh, Carmen says something like, well, what am I going to have to do to get there? And I, th- I think Pearl Bailey says something like, don't ask that now. Wait till we get to Chicago first. I think Pearl Bailey's so good in this. She's movie. very good. Yeah. She's very entertaining. Mm-hmm. But then uh, once Carmen is there and she's trying to convince her, then we and Carmen is convinced, like she tells Joe, I'm going to do what I want to do. Then we get a scene where Pearl is massaging Carmen. Mm-hmm. And it felt very much like she's trying to like pamper her thoroughbred. Mm-hmm. Like this is how, <laughs> this is how I'm going to make my money is by this woman. Mm-hmm. Or when, so Carmen shows up to the, because you can watch a Husky train for a dollar, it says on the sign. Well, it seemed like a lot of money in 1954. It did. She tosses a coin down, walks in there like you're too bit short. And she's like, Charge it to Husky. Yeah, make it enough. <laughs> um, but she asked Pearl for money, and Pearl laughs and points at the box. She's like, there's your bank right there. <laughs> I think Pearl, that character is so funny. She is good. Um, so when, so then, you know, as the film progresses, now Carmen is with Husky, and there's a point where everyone's with Husky, like Carmen, Pearl, Diane, and Joe shows up, like, to fight. And I thought, do you, so Carmen's wearing a dress, like a blue stripy dress Mm -hmm. that looked just like, remember like five or six years ago, there was that internet thing about that dress and everyone was like, is it blue or black? Oh yeah. I forgot about that. That's what Carmen's dress looked like. I mean, she looked great, but anyway, yeah, that's when Joe shows up. Like he's going to fight Husky Miller. And of course Husky Miller whoops his ass. And then the military police come, but Carmen helps him escape. Um, but then Cindy Lou is also, she has shown up mm-hmm. trying to like have Carmen help her. And Carmen's like, girl, she has a line that says, bait your hook for fish you can fry. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you chasing this man who doesn't want you? Well, and then, and then Cindy Lou has a song about that. Which um, I think it's called He Got Himself Another Woman. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty long little moment, but I wrote down, this poor girl is so stupid. She's so stupid. <laughs> Leave but, this man alone. <laughs> because she's, she's aware that he's not good for her. But she has some, a good line in that song, too, because I think she calls Carmen a roadside woman. <laughs> um, we have, like, we probably should take a break and then finish one second. So the end of the film is, is, the, is a fight between Husky Miller and another opponent. So there, there's this big fight. And I thought, because we just reviewed the movie Big George Foreman, and we commented, or at least I did, that the fighting in that movie seemed pretty sedate. Mm-hmm. I thought the fighting in this movie at that final scene is more engaging than Big George Foreman. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree <laughs> with that. Um, but ultimately, this movie is a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. Um, because Carmen Jones is a red flag factory. She is absolutely a red flag factory. But I think, you, you know, it'd be interesting to examine. Because the most interesting character to me is Joe. In that he had this good girl. He has a full song about how he loves her because she reminds him of his mother. And he's like his dad. And that's why they make a good pairing. But then at the point where Carmen very easily seduces Joe, mm-hmm. it's like, well, what about this woman? Well, and then another line he has to her, to Carmen is he believes that, you know, because I'm in love with you, I have, I have a right over you. Yes. So, so then I think it's very interesting because it's obvious why he likes her. She's a dangerous woman. She's more sexy or sexual than Cindy Lou. So, you know, people, it's alluring, right? The things that we don't have, we want. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. But then, like you just said, the fact that he thinks he owns her because he loves her, mm-hmm. even though she's not reciprocating that. Mm-hmm. We don't get that language from Carmen, mm-hmm. right? She's just, it's, it's very clear that she knows how to manipulate men. And a part of that is to be of service to them. So that's why, I mean, that's how she seduces him. Mm-hmm. She is making him supper. She's cleaning his dirty uniform. But it's like, it's I, like you're not a homemaker and you don't want to be. So no, and I'm not professing my love to you. I'm just doing what I need to, to do to get what I want from you. I thought she said she loved him. 
did she? And but even if she did, it's very clear that it's very clear that she changes her mind about that love so. because when she's talking to Pearl, she's saying like, I can't do this and that because I I'm in love with someone. And then Pearl is like, you know, you know, love doesn't last and you're going to have to move again. Pearl's Pearl's attitude about love seems to be what would be appropriate for someone like Carmen. Right. But because Carmen seems, this is the part that I would love to talk to a professional about, like what kind of, how would you describe someone like her? That she's in love with the notion of love. And I think, you know, she does it for the thrill, even if it kills. So. But she's mean. Like she, like, like she's not. She's, she's narcissistic and naive. I think she's a dangerous combination. Yes. Yes. Because, because she, does, she doesn't realize the havoc that she uh, unleashes on those she leaves behind and abandons. Which is um, in that documentary about uh, that serial killer that I watched. Um, some of the commentators talk about like the narcissism and how it leads to just no empathy. And mm -hmm. that's what's really dangerous. Mm -hmm. And hearing that woman, the, the killer, like some of her testimony on the stand is like, wow, like you really. So, I mean, th these murders occurred, I think she was convicted in like the early 90s. So she's still alive and still in jail. And they have her lawyer on the documentary. And he says, you know, at a point she said, stop the appeal process. Like, I, I think what's best is that I spend the rest of my life in prison. God. And so her lawyer says, oh, so are you admitting guilt? And she said, no. And it's like, <laughs> wow. Okay. But I mean, like, it's almost like that, like Carmen's. I, I don't know the definition of a psychopath, but she almost seems like almost that. And I know crazy is a dismissive word, but she seems like that disconnected from reality. Well, she's also a product of her environment as well. Yeah. It's hard being beautiful because you know, You're pretty hurts, right? It does. I mean, I don't know how I'm not, no, I, no, but it is like, I mean, like, like imagine if you're that beautiful and everyone wants a piece of you and then you realize that you can get things because of that. But you can't go to, you can't get in too deep because then the, you they'll ruin you. can't get in too deep, yeah. yeah. So then it's like, well, it's almost like I've learned to pretend mm -hmm. to love people so that I can get the reaction that I want. And get the thrill, get my kicks. But I almost, but but it's not entirely the attractive person's fault, right? It's mm -hmm. like, well, I also want to satisfy feeling of being, like, I guess everyone wants to feel special and desired. So mm -hmm. even if you're someone who can easily find that, people train you to think like, well, I expect something from you uh, <laughs> because everyone else gives me something. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's very interesting, but this version of Carmen, um, I thought was very effective. I agree. It just said, you know, she got this Oscar nomination and, you know, Dorothy Dandridge didn't do another movie for three years. As I talked about it, I guess I have to choose a score. I guess I would do four out of five. Okay. I think it's excellent. Um, my biggest issue is with language, but again, I don't think it's inappropriate per se based on the time period. It just, I don't know. It was a little distracting, but Pearl Bailey, Dorothy Dandridge are magical. Diane Carroll's like 19, I think. It's so fun seeing Diane yeah. Carroll. Um, I think the relationship between Carmen and Joe is very effective and seeming like chaotic and scary. Mm -hmm. And then the way it all ends is, effectively tragic yeah yeah it is it's very tragic um if you like pearl bailey in this i recommend i, I like her uh role in hal ashby's the landlord from hmm. 1970 as well is that all you have to say about carmen jones uh no but i, I think you know when you talk about dandridge you should talk about another favorite film of yours is tu wong fu and there's that scene between that old white lady and wesley snipes Tamago, Malaga, Malaga, which are two dandridge films I've never seen. Uh, Tamago is easy to see. Malaga is, it's hard. you know, the last time I tried to look for a copy, that was difficult. But I'm also familiar with Halle Berry playing Dorothy Dandridge. I do remember the movie. I've, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I recall enjoying it. That was like 98, made for HBO, I think. But I, I'm due for a rewatch, I yeah. suppose. And then, of course, um, Janet Jackson in 90s five sort of made a campaign to play Dorothy Dandridge mm -hmm. by making a video called 24 play mm -hmm. in which she's basically Dorothy Dandridge in the video. 
for people who are not familiar, you should watch it. Um, Janet looks amazing. Mm -hmm. She looks as I was watching Carmen Jones, I kept thinking, oh, Janet in 1995 could have played Dorothy Dandridge. Um, even like the face shape and the smile. But um, yeah. Um, I think her film after Dorothy, or Dorothy of uh, Carmen, Carmen Jones. Jones, she reunited with, isn't Belafonte in Island in the Sun with her? Yes, he is, but he falls in love with a white woman, Joan Fontaine, I believe. Joan Collins is in that too. I don't really like Island in the Sun, but it's worth seeing for all those people. Jane, James Mason. Um, but yeah, it's just too bad that she should have been a lot bigger and brighter. And I, I kept remarking in in Carmen Jones, she does have manner. She has those kind of mannerisms that Marilyn Monroe had. And and I know as we talked, Marilyn was always a little more sedate, and Dorothy Dandridge is much more animated, but. She she has, she has those. Um, Dorothy Dandridge has the like the 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 it because she, she she's gorgeous and she's sexy, but she also seems very comfortable in her body. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the physicality in this movie is very impressive. Mm -hmm. There's a fight scene where it's like, mm -hmm. I mean, it's clear they kind of were told like just go for it, but don't hit faces and don't pull off Dorothy's wig <laughs> because. Mm -hmm. Carmen is grabbing the other woman's hair, which looks like it's her actual hair. But then, of course, Carmen's wearing a wig. So then the other woman is never touching Dorothy Dandridge's head. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but other than that, it, it looks pretty like like Dorothy was going in. Oh, welcome the cat. The cat's screaming. Screams from another room. My oh. autobiography. Well, um, what do we have going on this week? Uh, I finished reading Monster by John Gregory Dunn, so now I need to watch Up Close and Personal. Um, and I started reading Queen's Gambit, not the Walter Tevis novel that was turned into the Anya Taylor-Joy miniseries, but um, by Elizabeth Fremantle, because Karima News made a film version that's playing at Cannes called Firebrand with, I think it's Michael Fassbender and Alicia Vikander, who are, it's about the last wife of Henry VIII, Catherine Parr. The Guardians of the Galaxy 3 review is ready to go, but I probably probably won't post it until Thursday because well, yeah. it has spoilers. Lots of spoilers, yeah. And so and you have to let me know what else we're agreeing to cover next week. Next week's that's the that's the big one. Well, uh, RMN, right? Well, that was that'll good. be released next week. That was this week. That opened Friday. Oh, I already released it. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, oh, then yeah, I guess I need to look at what we're watching. Yeah, I think there it's a it's a slow week. Um, the week after is actually much busier right before can. But... Oh, there's a, a new movie called What's Love Got to Do With It? Yeah, but it's not. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. A UK rom-com? No. Isn't, did Shakar Kapoor direct that? Uh, I don't know. But um, yes, that's right. Who directed, uh, yeah, that's. Why I already we... have an attitude about this title. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I don't know why we needed to take that. But he directed Elizabeth in the sequel with Kate Blanchett. Hmm. Well, it might be a, a thin week then, because I have other things I need to do. As always. Oh, Thomas Jane is in an action thriller. Hmm. Is that what one rate? I do. I do think we should cover Chile '76. I did like that. Priyanka Chopra Jonas in Celine Dion romance. Mm. Oh, yes. the movie features new music from Celine Dion. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> well, I think before she was. Sure, but but they credit like Celine Dion's name is on on the poster. The poster, like mm -hmm. she is like, a character in the movie. Wow, she might be. She might have a role in it. Yeah, maybe. I know you don't like Priyanka all that much. Nah. Is that the one called Love Again? Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway, well, I think that's all we have. All done. <sighs> yeah. All right. Bye. <laughs>